some time here. So today we're going to finish our series. Oh. Actually, I was expecting a sigh of relief, actually. <laughs> because I suspect there's a danger that we all might get exhausted trying to outgrow all this stuff. But you know what? I hope as we've worked our way through this that it has indeed challenged you to grow. I know it has me. Hope that it's given you the opportunity to face one or two issues that you know are lingering, ongoing challenges, frustrations, possibly vulnerabilities for you. And hopefully the chance to take to the Lord some of those, those wounds, those hurts that still need his love and his attention. That's kind of softening up because here we go. Today's title is Judgmental. Yay! <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm going to give you uh, this issue in a nutshell. It goes something like this. Are you still, if you're honest, which of course you are, are you still rather too quick to judge? Too quick perhaps to to jump, to, to snap conclusions that you later regret? Here's one for you. This, this, this is for me. Are you ever shocked? at your initial gut reaction to something. There's another one. Do you you still think everyone else would be infinitely better off if they were just like you? Yes, of course. How how quick are you to to pigeonhole, to stereotype, to categorize, to, to generalize? And are you yet totally grace ruled Or if you're honest, are you still just a little bit judgmental? Smile at me, say, Jamie, give it to me real good this morning. I'm up for this. I'd say it like this. As always, you guys get 30 minutes, if I'm quick, on a Sunday morning. I have this all week. In fact, I have this all series, really. And I have to process this stuff pretty deeply in in order to be able to preach it. So please don't at any stage think that I'm up here on my high horse. I'm on my little high platform. But I'm not on my high horse. And the other thing I say is if if this doesn't apply to you personally, just pray for the person sitting next to you. But you know what? I have a sneaky little suspicion that, that you might find something somewhere in this that's of relevance to you and where you're at. So here's the challenge again. Are you still at all judgmental? And in the context of the series, does that, does that trouble, does that frustrate, does that surprise you? Before we dive in, actually as we dive in, I'm going to give you a little Bible context. And I'm going to give you three foundational thoughts that I'm sure we all know well enough. Thought number one, three thoughts. I've done well with three. This is just the intro. Number one, thought number one, we all know what Jesus said about the speck and the log, right? We can all quote, I'm sure, Jesus' wonderful Sermon on the Mount, which said, judge not, lest ye be judged. In other words, be extremely careful who or what you judge. Or at the very least, take a long, hard look in the mirror 
Number two, foundational thought number two. We all understand the gospel. We sung it this morning. Thank you, Ali. That the Jesus took our place. That he was judged for our sin. That he was found guilty. Paid the price in full. In other words, we are all, every one of us, products of divine grace. And we're intended to be vessels of that same grace to those around us. You know, sadly, Christians are anecdotally considered to be the most critical, most judgmental, and narrow-minded, narrow-minded and hypocritical bunch. I'm pretty sure that's not fair. But it is the perception out there. The reality is we should all be so overwhelmingly grateful for what Jesus did for us that it should spill over into fragrant, beautiful, powerful grace every time. And thought number three. We all know Galatians 3.28. Yes, we do, Pastor. Which says this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, we understand that, that in kingdom, we, we're family. We, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And I suspect we get that, and we are grateful for that that we are not all required to be culturally identical or, or wired the same or, or to be personality clones. Do I need to adjust this? Yes, said the sound guy with great affirmation and certainty. Okay, we're not, we're not those things. We're not required to be the same, but we are required to be one. They talk about unity, not necessarily Uniformity. Galatians 3.28 teaches us that there is no such thing as a second-class Christian. And yet, I speak for myself here, how is it that, that we can still be rather too quick to judge and to criticize and to categorize? I'll be really honest with you this morning. I wouldn't consider myself to be sexist or racist or misogynist. But you know, to be brutally honest, sometimes that initial thought that jumps into my head shocks me. Where, where, where on earth did that come from? I reckon I can, I can correct it pretty quickly because, because I know the truth. Because, because I, I think I have a soft heart because for the most part I get grace. But not, there's still something in my human nature, still something in my flesh that is quick to judge. Not talking here about being some kind of pseudo-Nazi who wants to blow up power blocks and stir up vile hatred and division. I'm talking about those little snap judgments, those conclusions and stereotypes we jump to and really know we shouldn't. And having been a Christian for 45 years, I intuitively know that I need to, work, to keep working to outgrow any and all of that. I know that, 
that the tendency to judge is unbiblical, it's unattractive, and it flies in the face of the gospel. I know that our kingdom purpose is, is to build bridges, not to burn them. I know that if I, if I open the door to indiscriminate judgmentalism, there's plenty in me worth judging. I know that, that as a recipient of grace, I jolly well should be gratefully gracious. I know that, that carnality tears down, it, it competes and it discourages and it ostracizes where a spirituality builds up, it encourages and empowers and redeems. To give that one more, one more little nudge, we're going to look at signs that we're still a little bit judgmental. With all these things, you know, what's that Joyce Meyer line? I may not be where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. We, we recognize we're all on a journey here, but, but here, here are some signs that, that we might still be a little judgmental. And I'm digging deep in here. My, my aim is not to make you feel lousy, but, but to flag what, what I suspect we already know to be true so we can take it to the Lord. Here's the oft-repeated line, until we can see it, we can't deal with it. Reality is each one of us is, is, is on that potter's wheel. The good news is that God is the master at smoothing off all those rough edges. So really quickly, with, with minimal com commentary, nine quick signs that we're judgmental. Number one, we overlook things in ourselves we gladly criticize in others. Number two, we favor people just like us. Number three, we are innately suspicious of people who are different to us. Number four, we apply the law more harshly to others than we do to ourselves. Number five, we, we, we either have a superiority complex that, that looks down on other people or an inferiority complex that wants to drag other people down to our perceived level. Number six, we are quietly pleased when people get their comeuppance. You know, there's a little dark spot in us that actually kind of perversely enjoys when others are put down so we can feel lifted up. Number seven, we are quick to believe and make harsh judgments based on gossip. Number eight, though we, though, we, though we know it's true, we tend to forget that they're on a journey, just like us, and they need extravagant grace, just like us. And number nine, ninth sign that we're judgmental is we jump to conclusions based on what our natural eyes can see rather than waiting and asking and discerning to discover what our spiritual eyes might see. Ouch. 
I, I appreciate that that's quite strong. But you know, when it came to this topic, Jesus was really strong. You'll know that if, if ever you read the, the Sermon on the Mount. So what we're going to do now is we're going to look at, at the concept of judging and work out exactly what it is that we're supposed to be doing or not. And I'm going to put it like this. The word judge is a, is a big word that covers a lot of ground. Now, now for, for a parallel here, you know, no doubt you're familiar with the idea that the Greek language has several words for, for love. We, of course, just have, have that one. And one single word just, just is not able to reflect all the different nuances and facets of this concept of, of what it means to love. Similarly, I suggest that, that we use, we tend to use the word judge in place of these four. There should be some nice pictures coming up here that I worked sweated a week to produce. It's not great art, so don't be that impressed. Okay, the other one, here's the one, the judge one. I, I reckon we use the word, one more push, one more nudge on judge. That's it, there we go. I, I reckon we use the word judge to, to mean, to weigh, to condemn, to criticize, and to discern. All, all of those words are different facets of what we, I think, understand by this idea of judging. We'll work our way quickly through these, and you'll probably be able to identify where we're heading with all of this. So the first one is the word judge can mean to weigh, which is a good thing. You know, the ability to, to determine whether something is good or right or true or wise or appropriate is a good thing. It's important to be a person of good. We've got a loose connection, haven't we? Is it my button? Can we do my button up? I'm just going to pull it out a bit there. Give, give that a go. It's important to be a person of good judgment. Proverbs 3, verse 21. My son... Do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight preserve sound judgment and discretion. Proverbs 31, verse 9. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. So the first word is the word weigh. The second one is the word condemn. Do you know what? And I say this often. We live in an angry age. Outrage and opinionation and cancellation rule. Thoughtless, uninformed, soundbite judgment is expressed everywhere you look. If you don't think like me, watch out. I haven't walked a mile in your shoes, but I don't care. And those of us who do care still need to watch out for unwitting, unintentional, clumsy judgment that might be received as condemnation. And here's the danger. The danger is when you judge, you really don't know. You really don't know. You don't. I'll tell you a little story. Um, several years back, August, Peterborough, Ontario, and it was time for a haircut. And I went down to the local salon, whatever it was called, barbers probably, and was, it was enjoying my haircut. Um, but the lady that was cutting my hair was clearly in a real grump. 
you know, it wouldn't be exaggerating to say that I was ducking flying scissors. I felt as though my life was at risk. Have you ever felt like in the barbers? You know, in this one, there was plenty of tutting going on. Her concentration was wandering. Not a good thing when you're armed with scissors. Do you know what? As I think back to the day, I very, very nearly walked out with half a haircut. Got to be bad for that. But you know what? I, I hung in there, and eventually, the true story came out. See, it was August in Ontario. It was stiflingly hot. The aircon had broken down. This poor lady had been roasting hot and airless all day long. And do you know what? Eventually, when that came out, she wholeheartedly apologized, and we had a really good chat. Good news is I came out alive and with a reasonably good haircut. But the moral of the story, and it really struck me that day, this, this whole concept was cemented in my thinking, I suppose. The moral of the story is, if you jump too quickly to conclusions based on your moods or your past experience or what you could see, if you duck the scissors, do you know what? You will get it wrong more often than you care to admit. Because the likelihood is you do not really know. I'm going to burst some bubbles right now. None of us are as clever and insightful and accurate as we wish we were. All of which should make us cautious to judge and reluctant to condemn. Word number three is the word criticize. I'm going to give up. There we go. Oh, crackle free, hopefully. If this starts crackling, we know who it is. Word number three is the word criticize. Here's my theory. My theory is that most people's default condition is discouraged. Do you know what? I'm pretty confident that other people's criticism, generally speaking, is not a source of great blessing. You know, a conclusion I've drawn, it is not my place to put everyone straight. It's not my place to be the morality police or to be everyone's judge and jury. Not my place is. My place is to pray. My place is to bless. My, my place is to exemplify and extend grace upon grace upon grace. Maybe it's just my age. Maybe it's where my life has taken me, but I reckon criticism as a concept is highly overrated. Consider Jesus. Always a good thing to do. One of the reasons that sinners came running to Jesus was because when they got there, he was very slow to criticize and extremely quick to lavish grace. You know, the only people I think that Jesus explicitly criticized were the Pharisees. And the reason he did what that was because they were so indiscriminate in their superior, narrow-minded, legalistic, manipulative judgment. But in fact, they were the worst hypocrites of them all. 
and to pretty much everyone else, Jesus Christ lavished grace. Think of the woman caught in adultery. You know that story. They'd raised their stones and they were about to throw them. Jesus called them on it. And as they dropped their stones and wandered away, when they realized that when you're in a glass house, you really shouldn't. Jesus said, Who are these, where are these people that condemn you? She said, they've gone. And he said, neither do I. I. I do not condemn you either. Go away and leave your life of sin. What about the tax collector Zacchaeus up the sycamore tree? Despised, hated, rejected. Everyone else was criticizing, condemning that guy like crazy. What did Jesus do? Did he pile it in? No. He extended the arm of grace. We think about Peter, Peter the Apostle, who publicly denied him three times and who Jesus gently, tenderly, and skillfully restored. I don't know about you, but I'm very happy to make Jesus my model. Here's what I think. I don't think we win people to Christ by judging them and rubbing it in, but by showing grace. I was says it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. We, we don't deepen our relationships by judging people, but by extending grace. We do not build up our leaders by criticizing their every move, but by showing them grace and love and support and encouragement. And the flip to that is, is leaders do not build up their teams by belittling and criticizing them at every turn but by loving and nurturing and affirming and encouraging. Okay, fourth word, fourth and final word for judges, the word discern. Proverbs 4.13, wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of one who has no sense. Proverbs 14.33, wisdom reposes. Wisdom reposes in the heart of the discerning, and even among fools, she lets herself be known. Proverbs 16, 21, the wise in heart are called discerning and gracious words promote instruction. Quick, quick definition. To discern is, is to perceive by means of your spiritual senses. So it's more than observation or, or intelligence or, or deduction. This is Holy Spirit insight. The, the ability to see within or, or to see behind or, or to see beyond. It's asking God to, to show us what is really going on underneath the surface, behind the scenes. What are the real motivators? What, what are the agendas here that are at play? And do you know what I'd say? I'd say discernment is precious. It helps us make better choices, helps us draw more accurate conclusions. And you know what? It leads us to infinitely better conclusions. So that's where we're headed. The question becomes, how do you become a spiritually wise discerner rather than an impetuous judge? What do we need to, to grow in if we really want to outgrow judgmentalism. If this indeed is the target, 
if our desire is to be led by Holy Spirit insight rather than jumping to uninformed conclusions, if this is what we ourselves would want from others, what steps can we take intentionally? And I'm going to give you four really quick ones and then we'll wrap up. Question again is, how do we become a discerner rather than a judge? Number one, train yourself to look beyond and deeper than the surface. There's almost always more going on behind the scenes. I think of my hair-cutting, life-saving situation. Now, what, what, what hurt are they protecting? You know the saying, don't you? Hurting people hurt people. What is the agenda in play here? Who, who or what is the tail that is frantically wagging that dog? The point is, first, you have to train yourself to look. But we've said it before, flesh leaps where a spirit pauses. Flesh overreacts. Flesh lashes out. Flesh assumes. Whereas the spirit seeks and it listens and it prays. And it definitely draws infinitely wiser conclusions. So number one, train yourself to look behind the scenes. Number two, ask God what he sees rather than defaulting merely to what I see. You know, as we, we, we've talked about this, as disciples of Jesus, we're called to be clothed with power. We're called to be naturally supernatural. We're called to be ambassadors for Christ. We, we, we're given this ministry of reconciliation. And as we mature, the expectation is that we should increasingly look like that. And to be like that, you must be prepared to ask God, what, what do you see? Help you with that. Just four, four lenses that I think we should always try to look through first. And if it's helpful, you know, think of the idea of looking at a situation and actually putting on a pair of rose-colored specs or whatever it is that changes the view so you, you're not just seeing what your natural eyes are seeing, but you're able to see beyond that and ask God, what is it that I should be seeing? What are you showing me? So there's four lenses. Number one is the lens of the word. When we look at any situation, any relationship, any conversation, any decision, the first question we should ask is, what does the word say? Lens number one. Lens number two is the character of God. If you like, WWJD, what would Jesus do? The third thing we need to look through is, is the mission that God's given us. What does God purpose in this situation? Not, not what do I purpose? Not, not what, how, how does this work out for my comfort? How does this make me look good? But what, what does God purpose right here in the situation? And the number four is, is revelation. What, what is the Holy Spirit showing me here? Do I think how much better off I would have been many times? How much better off we would be in general if everything we did, we first looked through those four lenses? Number two. 
Number three, and I recognize there's some overlap in these. Number three is train yourself to see from the other person's point of view. Says the man with hairdresser's scissors sticking out of his scalp. Train yourself to see from the other person's point of view. You know, because, because discerning is an act of spiritual maturity, it is able to look beyond how it affects me and instead ask how it helps them. You see, flesh, what wants to self-protect, it wants to self-justify, it's after personal comfort. And so we tend to judge, don't we? we? We judge quickly, we judge defensively so we can put ourselves and others in the boxes that suit our purposes. But discernment sees the bigger picture. Discernment can see past me, my consequences. And it can see through Jesus. It can see through cross and resurrection and Pentecost and straight into the other person's heart to minister to them what they need. Leads nicely, I think, on to number four. Number four is actively look for redemption. Again, compare, compare Jesus, our perfect example. In every situation, Jesus' target was redemption. It was, it was restoration. It was it was transformation. It was salvation. You see, for Jesus, it wasn't, it wasn't about being proved right. It, it wasn't about putting people in their place. It wasn't about defending the law. Think of those instances around the Sabbath. He didn't even get into that. It wasn't for Jesus about making others look small so he could feel big. Jesus loved people into heart change because he was able to discern, not simply to judge. It was never about him. It was never about his comfort or his reputation or his ego. It was always about the fulfillment of his father's purposes. Very good news for us is that purpose is our redemption, it's our restoration, it's our transformation, it's our salvation. John 3.16, familiar verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Aren't you grateful for Jesus? Don't you love the gospel? And our prayer is, Lord, would your amazing grace transform my heart and make me just like Jesus. Okay, we're pretty much done. If the, if the worship team wouldn't mind coming and taking their positions again, we're just going to, talk about how we might respond to this today. And I realize that I've trodden on a few toes. My toes are black and blue because I've been stomping all over them all week. So don't feel bad about that. Three, three possible ways I think you can respond this morning. They're all quite personal, if I'm honest. Number one is, is be honest. Are you too quick to judge? And if you are, 
very simple. You need to repent and ask the Lord, as I do on a daily basis, to mature me from carnal to spiritual. That's a good place to start. The acknowledgement, you know what, I am a little bit too quick to judge. And Lord, you need to help me deal with this. Second one, kind of related, and I haven't had time to really touch on this today. Is there any prejudice in you that needs to die? If there is, take it to the Lord today and ask him to change and soften and heal your heart. And then number three, which is where we've been headed all along, I guess, is can you see what God sees? Make, make a decision to, to pause. Make, make a decision to think deeper, to look further. And always ask the Lord, what is it that I need to see? Because I've tried judging on the basis of what I've seen. Lord, I want to be better than that. I want to be discerning of the basis of what you see and what you show me.